What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in, checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 27. I'm your host, Wes, and today we're going to pick up on part three of an amazing conversation that I had with Greg Bennick over Zoom. Check it out. You know, imagine, you know, a scenario where you're asked to, you know, you have, you have 10 people, right? And you ask them to, hey, we're going to need you to give a talk, right? We're going to ask, need you to give a, a presentation, right? We're going to go over a slide deck. We got to do a PowerPoint, whatever it is, right? And there's always, there's always, you know, the people that, you know, you see them kind of clam up, right? You see them get, you know, get red spots, right? You see them start to just get fidgety and, and kind of strange. And I don't, I don't have a fear of public speaking anymore. Like I did when I was younger, as I've gotten older and kind of come, out of my shell a little more that's kind of faded, but there are still times where I get ready to go, you know, up to, to give a presentation or something that I feel just for a minute, a little bit of that, um, adrenaline is still there. You know, I've done it, you know, nowhere near the capacity that you've done it and nowhere near as many times, but every time I do it, I still feel a little bit of that. Like, hmm, even when I go on stage to, to play, to play a show, it's a little less because I mean, something about having drums and having that barrier in front of you is really helpful. It's really comforting when I go out and play guitar or like sing or whatever. If it's something that's not drums, the feeling is completely different without that safety net in front of me. Right. So I'm just, I'm just curious. You obviously deal with, um, you know, people that are, are opening, opening for you or people that are introducing you. Right. Is it, does it happen often where the person, that's introducing you isn't quite, you know, the, the appropriate speaker to be doing that. And you kind of see it, you can kind of, you can kind of see it from afar. You're like, Oh man, just I'll, let me get up there and I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. My, my intro is, is very specifically worded. I have an intro sheet that I send to clients in advance that says, it says in bold letters, practice reading this out loud multiple times before the event date, contact me if you have any questions. And then it has not bolded, a not bolded section, which says this is not to be read aloud. And it has instructions for the presenter on how to read what follows. And what follows is very small. Greg Benick is blah, 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 blah. Please welcome Greg Benick. That's the part that I ask people to read out loud again, 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 again. And it's because uh, you're right. Many people will get up in front of audiences and realize, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. But it's not because people lack ability. And it's not because people are less than. It's because the moment matters. And when the moment matters, we become concerned that we are going to somehow screw up the moment and then be judged. And then we're in this realm of self-esteem and it's this cycle of insecurity that we all have. I mean, come on, I could sit here on your podcast and I could say, well, Wes, that never happens to me. I'm a stalwart <laughs> of self-confidence. I mean, come on, that'd be ridiculous. I get nervous before every speaking engagement, every show. If you came up to me before any speaking engagement or any show that I do in the moment beforehand and said, listen, you, you, you can take today off. What do you think? I'd be like, great, good. I'm out of here. Good, good. Because I'm usually so nervous and anxious beforehand always. But it goes back to something that the guy, the guys who taught me how to juggle told me there's two guys, shout out to Mike Zito and Maurice Convard, Maurice Convard and Mike Zito years and years ago, Morris was, he lived in my town and Mike lived uh, 
uh, in my town at the time when I was a little kid, they taught a juggling class after school. And this is how I learned how to juggle. And when I was doing my first performances, I was saying, I'm nervous. And they were both sitting there. And I remember Mike saying to me, when you're not nervous anymore before a performance, that's when you need to give up because it means you don't care anymore. And I never forgot that. I mean, I was 13, 14, 13 at the time. And um, yeah, Morris and Mike uh, just really let me have a piece of wisdom there because that's why people get flustered. It's because they care. It's because they want to be understood. They don't want to be judged. And ultimately what people, and this is just kind of like a piece of coaching advice because I deal with lots of folks who, um, you know, who want speaking advice, you know, just a free piece of advice is you wouldn't be on stage unless you had something to say and people wanted to hear it, whether that's your boss asking for a presentation, you introducing somebody on stage, you facilitating the fundraiser, whatever it might be. As you're walking out on stage, you're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, why me? This is literally a fate worse than death. Why am I the one with the microphone in my hand? It's because you have the ability to do it. Other people believe in you and you simply just need to tell the audience what you know. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to be a superhero. Just tell them what you know and relate to them as if it was one-on-one on, one on one with a close, trusted friend. I think that can be helpful. I mean, we could talk about coaching on speaking for like weeks on end, but I think that uh, it's because those moments matter and people don't want to mess them up, that they get, they get flustered and, and, and quite nervous and in their heads, as it were. No, that, and that makes sense. And that's, that's good advice it seems like we've all done it or had to do it at some point where we have to get up and say something in front of someone, right? Whether it's at, you know, someone's graduation or at a birthday party. I remember getting up at my dad's wedding and I choked. It wasn't because I couldn't say the words or I didn't know what to say. I had it written out, I had an idea, I, you know, I had a couple notes and the moment was just bigger than my voice. And I got choked up and I just, I, mustered through it the best I could and just kind of, you know, and, and it was tough and it was tough. And I swallowed it the best I could and got through it. And these are all people I knew. These are my family. These are friends, right? Uh, wasn't worried about being judged per se. Um, I just couldn't get the words out. And it's the only time it's ever happened to me. Tell me this. Do you think, and I'm just curious, I, I have never heard anybody say the moment was bigger than my voice. That's very interesting to me because I'm wondering, was the moment bigger than your voice or was it bigger than your perception of your voice? And I don't want to oversimplify the moment because it might very well be the moment was, I'm just wondering, like, because I've never once described you as someone who doesn't know what to say or someone who is a quiet, meek, withdrawn person. That's simply not you, Right. So was the moment bigger than your voice or in the moment, did you psych yourself out and convince yourself that the moment was bigger than your voice? And if so, and I'm just brainstorming and now I'm answering your own question. What a jerk I am. No, nope, I mean, keep going. You're good. I'm asked, right. I'm just wondering, you know, as I'm answering my own question, I wonder if then you could be coached or you could do some self-coaching in that moment to bring your voice up, the like elevate the impact of your voice to the moment somehow um, or decrease the moment to match your voice. I'm just fascinated by that because I'm convinced in that moment, you were the one to, you were the one to speak and your voice was as big as the moment. Um, but in your mind, it certainly wasn't, you know, it's kind of the imposter syndrome where there's many times, I mean, I feel it often where I'm like, really, I'm wait, they're introducing me right now. What the heck is happening here? You know, 
but you step into it because you want to share or you have something to share. Anyway, just, I don't know what your thoughts are on that about the moment. And I mean, I the, think that the there's, voice. there's probably some, you know, it's probably a mix, right? It's probably a, a mix of both of those things. But I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, there's a X factor in anything that we do, which is timing, feeling, environment, and just perception, right? All of those things kind of compounding, you know, into one lump in your throat that causes, you know, a reaction that it's like seeing a movie that you're like, oh, I don't cry movies. You watch this thing. And all of a sudden you're like, this is, I just don't know why they're doing this. Right. You just, you can't, you can't control it. So as much as you want to be like, oh, I, I can be above this and be, be raise myself to this. I mean, my thoughts, I can't to raise myself to it. Could I have probably like, like gutted myself up there and, and just talk myself up in my head. It was just the emotion outweighed my ability to speak. And I just, I just couldn't. And that was it. You know, like I said, I got through it, but I mean, that was the only time that's ever happened to me. Uh, and I was nervous and my hands were sweating and this was my dad, right? This was my dad and he was getting married and he had asked me as the best man to talk and give us, give a speech. Right. I mean, my dad was my best friend, you know, all my life. And here I was like, you know, about to, t- to talk at his wedding. And I was just like, I just, it wasn't, I wasn't there. I got, like I said, I got through it, but man, one of the hardest things I'd, I'd probably ever done. Uh, just out of curiosity, was it, um, was it uh, recorded? Have you ever seen a recording of it? I don't know if it was recorded. I've never seen a recording of it. There were photos, you know, there's, it was kind of before, I guess yeah. smartphones were around at the time. There's probably something somewhere. I just wondered, did anyone tell you after the event, wow, you really choked at that speech and you got through it the way you've described it, like in your words, essentially, did anyone ever say that to you afterwards? I'm just, I'm curious if they did or not. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. I mean, honestly, I could have just stood there and cried and everyone would have been like, you did such a good job. Right. And so and that's, and that's what it's about. Right. So again, I was there, I was in the moment. I was very present. It was all hitting me at once. It, it was, it's, you know, what's strange is that I had a much easier time doing the eulogy at my dad's funeral than I did at his wedding. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, only like, you know, eight years or nine years apart from each other, you know, but it was interesting that I had a much easier time doing that. Um, You know, I was up there, you know, when we did, we, we did the eulogy as a family, my brothers, my sisters were with me and they were next to me. And, you know, we're, we're all fairly similar. Like, you know, we, we can get up and talk in front of people. We're fairly outspoken. We, you know, we were comfortable. Right. So, but it was interesting that I didn't have any, there wasn't that like emotional, um, you know, drain on me at the time, you know, because I was, and it was just different. I can't really explain it. I guess it was just different. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the reason I asked about, <clears throat> and then we'll get to the, the eulogy, which is, which is really interesting. Um, the reason I asked about was there a video or did people comment is because oftentimes we remember a situation as we talked about earlier, much different than it actually was. And I bet anyone who was there that day thought that you were incredibly sincere at your father's wedding. 
that would be my gamble and my guess. I'll tell you this, that in around 1995, six or so, I did a showcase for the college entertainment market. And it was uh, here in Washington. I had, I can't remember how much time on stage, but I was showcasing in front of college buyers in the college market. And I walked out on stage and I botched that showcase worse than anyone has ever botched anything in history to the point where I walked off stage sick about how, pres how my presentation had gone. And I knew that I had just botched it. And I got hired by a couple of college, but I was like, that was the worst, worst, worst it ever could be. It was on tape. It was recorded. It was on a VHS tape back in the day. I had that VHS tape without exaggeration until I'm going to say 2017 when I finally, I've got a dusty VCR here. I blew off the, the VHS cassette and I'm like, I'm going to find an old TV at Goodwill or whatever and hook this up and, you know, make it work. And I put in that cassette and I watched the showcase from 1990, 1995. It was nowhere as near as bad as I remember it. Like not even close. Like it certainly wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Maybe it was good, but it definitely wasn't bad. And while the other entertainers who were on that day blew me out of the water, that's just a fact. Like they were high, highly experienced professionals. Um, what I did that day wasn't as bad as I remembered. And I was like, oh my God, I just spent 20, 30, whatever it's years, like, you know, tearing myself apart for what I thought was terrible when it really wasn't. I bet your speech at your father's wedding was sincere and heartfelt and yes, flustered and confused and start and stop at times. And no one perceived it that way. No one perceived it as flustered and confused. They perceived it as sincere and heartfelt and, and focused. That's my, my guess. Um, because you're right. You know, you actually landed on, I think a million dollar idea. So you and I can share this idea. Um, you can take all the profits. Um, you talked about, <laughs> it's not about money. Man. It's not about money. It's not about money. It's not about money. Speaking is about, you said, uh, uh, uh timing, um, environment, perception, and, um, what was the other one? Um, timing environment perception what was the other there was one thing but even feeling. with those timing environment what'd you say feeling feeling okay uh, yeah it was right so um i think that you know even just timing environment perception like the, the first letters i'm rearranging in my head and it says it spells pet it's like the pet theory of speaking by wes <laughs> Keeley. you know it's all about timing environment and perception so that's that's the book you write that and then uh yeah you win okay so but moving on though to to the the eulogy situation this is this is fascinating i know we're not talking about hustling at this point which is the focus of the podcast but i'm pretty i'm pretty fascinated and, and that's why my reaction was wow interesting because you know, in that moment you're speaking and I'm, tell me where I go wrong. I'm trying to figure out for, you know, why that happened. You're, you're speaking sincerely about your father. You know that he's not judging you, but you know that the family is going to accept what you have to say. You're speaking from the heart. What, why else? Why do you think that that went the way it did that day? I'm just so interested in, in, in that. And I think that there's a huge lesson potentially in it too. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I think you know, looking back at it, I had specifically thought of a few different stories that I wanted to share with my dad or about my dad. And my dad was a very much a, um, you know, the spotlights on him. He's a showman. Like he dresses up in, in outfits and crazy hats. And, you know, he's a guy at the barbecue grill that's got like 
you know, some sort of weird hat on and some sort of like fake nose and he's just being, you know, silly guy. Right. So one of the things he used to always carry these, um, these little fake noses with him and he would put them on all the time. And just in the most random places, he'd be like at dinner and all of a sudden he'd, he'd have like a nose that was three inches long off of his face. And he would like go to give his order to the waitress, like, Oh, I'll have a, uh, you know, just whatever it was. And we were just like, where the hell he gets nose from? He just like pulled out this nose. And so he used to have these little clown noses that he would wear, you know, just to be silly. And when we, my brothers and sisters and I, when we went up to the eulogy, we all turned around and put a nose on and then, and then turned around to face the audience. Right. And my dad was always that showman. Right. So I specifically had two very funny, you know, stories to share about my dad and things that he had done and things that he had said that were just so my dad. Right. And I, I didn't practice them. I, I just thought about it. I'm like, Oh, I remember this. Right. And, and, you know, similar to remembering a conversation with you and I and Araya, it's like, you know, my version of the story of, of he and I's interaction was hilarious. Like it was, it was ridiculous. And I'll, I'll tell it to you. One of the ones that I did tell at his, at his funeral during the eulogy was when I was nine or 10 years old, uh, I would go in my dad's room. He had just gotten out of the shower and he's like getting himself ready to go to bed. You know, he's put his, puts his t-shirt on, whatever. And he starts combing his hair. I'm like, dad, why, why are you combing your hair? You're about to go to bed. And he looks at me, um, you know, and he's, he's kind of like in the mirror. He kind of stops and looks at me and goes, well, you never know who you'll meet in your dreams. And then it's continued to like comb his hair. Right. And I'm just <laughs> like, that is the funniest thing. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Right. I mean, and he just like said it without, without batting an eye. Right. Like, like not even a, well, you know, it's because no, he just like, you never know who you meet in your dreams and just like kept going, combing his hair. Right. And I can't tell you that, that I, this doesn't happen, but you know, there'll be several times where I get out of the shower and I'm about to go to bed and I catch myself combing my hair before I go to bed. And, and my wife looks at me, she's like, you're just like your father. Right. And, it, and it's amazing. So, you know, my right. thought of why that probably went so um, differently, I don't want to say well, uh, but went differently for me is that, you know, I mean, a handful of things, right? One, my dad was in a lot of pain. He went through hospice. He had um, prostate cancer. You know, he was in remission for, you know, a lot of years and just kind of came back suddenly. He was faced with this kind of like six months to live kind of thing. And, and it was, there was a lot of just, it was a big whirlwind, right? So a lot of it was like, you know, I was glad he's not suffering anymore. He's not in pain. Uh, he's, you know, and so I don't want to say it was like a relief because that's not really how I mean it. I guess what I mean is like, I didn't have, um, it was like, I had this final, um, you know, these, these performance, this performance as I'm looking at to deliver on his behalf. Right. And so I really wanted to do my dad proud by telling the story. And so I was, I was like, you know, not stone faced, but I was, I was me. Right. I was me. I wasn't choked up. I wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, mad or, 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 you know, just trying to figure it out. I knew what I wanted to say and I said it and it was great. And, uh, and, you know, if people still remember that story, they tell me all the time, like, oh, you told the story about your dad and combing his hair. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's true. It was, I was there, you know, and so it's, it's interesting to, to think back on it. Um, but it, yeah, it went completely different. But overall, Probably both were just fine. You know, I just have a different recollection of one over the other.
That's an incredible story about your father as performer. I'm so happy you shared that. Really, really nice. Amazing. I, I really, uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate hearing that because I've heard you speak about your, your father over the years or referenced in, you know, here, there and whatnot. And to finally have that now image of him, I'll definitely carry that with me. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. It's, he was a, he was a good, he was a good dude. He was uh, my best friend for a lot of years. Like I said, and it's, uh, this um, world is a sadder place without him in it. That's for sure. Cause he's just, like I said, funny, funny, super quick. Like I, I have always prided myself on being, being quick. And it has a lot to do with where I grew up, uh, you know, in, in Flint and the kind of the, the way I think about things. And, and um, you know, my dad was that guy too. He was, he was on it uh, every, you know, every second. So it's uh, so and it never, cool. it never went away. So it's really, really awesome to, to think about some of those stories from time to time. Great. I'm so glad you shared them. I do have um, just a couple really quick things we can jump into. I had a note down here to talk to you about process, right? Um, but I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a really big, um, a really big um, topic to unpack, right? And so maybe we can come back and talk about, you know, process another time. But Anytime. I do, you know, I, I think that it's really, I mean, the stuff that you do, I mean, we haven't really, you know, got into all of the, cause we didn't want to get into all the accolades and all the things like, you know, you've won like Sundance film awards and that's, for, that's not true, but thank you. <laughs> you you've participated <laughs> in Sundance film. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was, I, I've been, I've been to the town of <laughs> where Sundance is. That's it. But uh, film festival, sure. But not Sundance, but anyway, please go on. Right. So you, yeah. So you, obviously the, you know, the, the flight from death film, right. You sure. and that you and Patrick did, you know, years ago. Yep. And, yep. and, you know, I think you had a hand in some sort of, something to do with the Bain documentary. I'm not exactly yeah, sure for sure yep. where that lives, but um, you know, I think we could probably go into all that stuff, you know, another time because there's, there's so many things like, I think it just has to do with like, we, you and I haven't got to talk in so long. So I'm like, Oh, what about this? What about that? Right. <laughs> anytime, but, anytime. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to jump in and cut it right here. We're about to jump into my favorite part of the podcast where we talk about the things that we've learned Looking back through this kind of retrospective lens over 20 and 30 years, you won't want to miss it. The last segment, episode 28, is coming up next. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Hustle the Most podcast. This was episode 27. We'll see you on the next one. (laughs) 